Welcome to Hello Easton, PA. I'm your host, Mark Nutting. I'm the owner of Jiva Fitness, an author, business consultant, former actor, dancer, martial artist, superhero, musician, and I love to connect with others. This podcast is a way for me to share the stories of the people I meet in my adopted hometown of Easton, Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Mark Nutting, and welcome to Book and Puppet Company. I'm here with Andy Labius and Rebecca Migdahl, uh, the owners. And hi, guys. Hi. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for coming by. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Let's, let's kick off and just, just tell us about uh, Book and Puppet and what it's all about. Well, Book and Puppet Company is a community independent bookstore with a puppet theater. And we also uh, have uh, birthday parties for children. We have uh, puppet shows and uh, visits from children's book characters on the weekends, story hours. Uh, we have programs for adults. Uh, we recently had a uh, professor from Lehigh University do his book launch here. So uh, we serve all ages, but we have a special concentration in working with children. Yeah, great. And uh, so the children's books, you know, and book and puppet pretty much says what you do. So that's that's not confusing. One of the things I thought was fascinating when I first met you guys and and came to your store was the the quality of the puppets. You know, when when our kids were growing up, we just puppets were great for them, and we enjoyed buying puppets. And and the really nice ones, the the ones that are are just so much fun to work with, are are the same ones that you have here. So I, you know, it was very nostalgic for us and the kids to come in and see, you know, what puppets you have. Um, with the, I know that you have all the kids' books and all that, but you have adult books too. We ha- we we say they're books for grown-ups, not not adults, but, but grown-ups. They're, they're they're not adult books. They're books for oh, grown-ups. Yes, I, yes, yes, and th- that does position us as you know, two-thirds of the store is children's books, but uh, the books for grown-ups are now a very large part of our store, and a lot of people come to us because there there isn't another independent bookstore in downtown Easton that sells new trade books. Of course, there's the Quadrant, which is a wonderful bookstore, yeah. and they sell uh, used books. Right. So um, we're carrying all sorts of things that are current and uh, that are uh, of interest right now that are published for adults. So lo- we have a large fiction section, biography, science, social science. Uh, cookbooks. Cookbooks, poetry. So, yeah. We, yeah, we have a lot of books for grown-ups. Yeah. And we also specialize in local authors. So we give a lot of shelf space to people in the community who are authors um, and part of local uh, literary organizations, whether they're professors or, you know, people from uh, the Glivwig. The Greater Lehigh Valley Writers Group has its own bookshelf in our store. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, there's about 150 members. I was just about to ask how how you located your authors, and I guess that's a big source of it. Right. Well, exactly. And we, we will take uh, books from other local authors who aren't members of Glivwig, but Glivwig is such a robust uh, organization that, that we're really happy that we've been able to partner with them. We do really have to beat the bushes to find the authors. You they do. Come to, they, we do not. Oh, you don't They have come to, yeah. to us. Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what we want, of course. But, you know, uh, uh, authors are always looking for for opportunities to promote their book. And, you know, uh, since there's so much of the activity is online, if you're not, especially if you're not a person who really thrives 
in the online environment, having a local bookstore is a real benefit to the Well, it's, it's, it's also, you know, there's, I mean, a lot of times people don't know what they want, and just to be able to peruse, you know, through, you know, shelves of books is a great thing. Uh, my, my father was uh, a serious book collector. You know, we had literally more books in our family home than the library had. And, and I'm not kidding. It was, you know, it was a big family home, but it's it just like that many books because he just collected books. But, I mean, to, to just go through shelves and, be, you know, I, I still appreciate, you know, so I, I grew up appreciating books, you know, uh, is the point of that. But to go into a store and be able to look through the shelves and kind of go, you know, it's a different experience online because you really have to know what you want online. And to be able to, like, like I said, just to be able to look around and uh, look through the books is always an added benefit. You can, you can become free of the algorithm right. in, in a bookstore. The algorithm is chance, it's community, it's tastes. Uh, you know, that we bring to what we're doing, but it, it's also about being responsive to the community that you have uh, rather than, you know, uh, a robot telling you what to read. Well, and, and to give you another example of that, uh, our entire uh, inventory of books is available on our website. If you go to bookandpuppet.com, you can see what books we have in stock, and uh, we can also special order anything that's in print. But when customers will order a book from me, that I do not have in the store, like I said, we can get anything in two or three days that's, that's, yeah. that's in print, uh, I'll often pick up an extra copy for the store. In other words, I allow customers to drive what I stock on mm -hmm. the shelves of the store. And the reason I do that is because I assume that if somebody lives in Easton and is uh, special ordering a book that I don't have in stock, well, maybe people, maybe someone else in Easton would right. like to read that book. So a lot of the books on the shelf here are books that people in the community have, you know, discovered special online and special ordered. Yeah. So if you think our selection is weird, it's your own fault. <laughs> right, that's true. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, but the other thing about the, the, that whole discovery process that you just described about, you know, sort of not knowing what you want and just allowing yourself to be open to, to what might, might be on the shelves of this bookstore. Children, young children, kids of age eight, they should not be shopping for books on the internet. They should be coming into a bookstore where they, of course, young children, a three-year-old, can't shop for themselves on the internet. They right. have to, yeah. they have to come into a bookstore, and so especially with uh, children's literature Good coming point. into a physical space and encountering books are the way that you are going to get the kids excited about books, and it's great for them to go to the library. Absolutely, the library is you know a, a key partner with us in you know advancing literature, but the bookstore is a situation where the child will be able to really uh, uh, keep the book and right. you know own the book and, and not have to give it back and reread it and rediscover it. The idea of owning the book and be able to come back to it is, is such a big thing because our kids, you know, it, you know, they would read a book and then they'd read it again, as you were saying, you know, maybe it's a month later, maybe it's a year later, but they'll come back to the books. And, you know, again, having been brought up around, you know, a lot of books, there's something to be said to be able to look at the your own the kids' own library. These are all your books. You know, it's kind of a cool thing for them. Well, and the other thing I think that's really important about independent bookstores is that our increasingly our libraries, whether they're the public library or the school library, 
are uh, contested spaces where uh, there's uh, there's censorship going on. Oh, sure. Yeah. And These days. It's a bookstore like ours, you know, is we're here to serve the community. Nobody can tell us not to carry a book. Right. And so we can provide uh, to the community and also teachers and, you know, of course, parents and kids with uh, access to books that they may not be able to get at their library or at their right. school. And we can also provide a place in the community, hold a space in the community for people to speak out and to, to discover um, books that may otherwise not be available to them. So it's very important to us to uh, hold a space for uh, what we consider to be just, you know, it's called progressive values, but it's like, okay, we know these things about education. We know these things about psychology. We know these things about child development. We know these things about the uh, spread of information, you know, freely in society and, and um, about taking the time to listen to the real experts, you know, not just do your own research, but, you know, go to the people who've spent their lifetime studying this right. and read what they have to say, not yeah. just some blowhard on the Internet. You know, bookstores are places where you get access to the books that are being presented by publishers who whose job it is to curate the information at the highest level that's available to you in your society. And unfortunately, if educational institutions aren't doing that the way they should, we have to fall back on the publishing industry and on bookstores to be able to give free access to the best information available and to the best scholarship available about important issues that our society is struggling with. I'm feeling a sense of uh, advocacy here. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, we've made a yeah. deliberate choice to come to Easton because of personal connections in the community, but also because we felt that we were going to be a little bit on the front lines of the culture wars, yeah. and that's where we needed and wanted to be. Great. Super. Um, we'll come back to some of this uh, in, a, in a bit, but what I wanted to jump to is making sure that we're covering uh, the, the, the rest of your business, which I'm, as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the puppet theater and uh you yeah we were talking earlier you found the perfect time for your puppet, puppet shows but the uh what what was the original idea you know why why did i guess it's just making what you have come alive uh you know when you're selling puppets to have a puppet show but that was that kind of what you wanted to do is just well we were we were doing puppet theater together before we had a bookstore Andy, at the time that I met him, was a bookstore manager at the Eric Carle Museum of Picture Book Art. And I had puppet theater in New York City, and I was doing puppetry and face painting and uh, uh, basically uh, family party services mm -hmm. as a way of making money while I was in graduate school. So I was studying yeah. uh, creative writing, English literature, and script writing. And then I was doing uh, puppet theater um, as a way of, you know, making money in a short amount of time, I could make a larger amount of money by doing parties. And yep. uh, so that was something that I had learned as a, a way of making a living that I also really enjoyed. When I started doing puppet theater, I found I had discovered 
a hidden superpower that yep. I had. <laughs> so, Those are good to have, superpowers. <laughs> you know, hey, it's actually tur- really has turned out to be a superpower. So when I met Andy, and he had a background in children's theater and was doing storytelling and improvisational music, we started doing improvisational music together. And then when I returned to my puppet theater work, Uh, Because I spent a few years out of New York and wasn't really actively involved in my business. I was much more involved in my own creative work for a while. Mm -hmm. But when we returned to New York and Andy was the manager at Bank Street Bookstore uh, and I was the program director, we decided to bring back the puppet theater. And what we learned was that we didn't need – I didn't need to plan out a script and record every part of the – you know, sound effects and have like music that started here and stopped there and then have, and that which would force me to conform myself to a preconceived idea of what the show was. Um, instead, it worked much better if I just improvised. Yeah. And, and since I'd been doing improv with Andy for some years by that time, I'd gotten a lot more comfortable with my improv, improvising, you know, skills. And so I just started doing these improvised shows, and Andy and I started working together. Yeah, what I remember is that you had been doing uh, the Frog Prince uh, as your parties, and then you developed a Rumpelstiltskin puppet show, and they were very, uh, they were completely scripted, and they had the soundtrack recorded, and they had the props, and it was a wonderful show. Your your Frog Prince show was just terrific. But when you went to birthday parties, you would, you know, you do the Frog Prince. Yeah, because it was always but a new, new audience. It was always sure. a new audience. Yeah. But right. at, at Bank Street Bookstore, we decided to do puppet shows every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays. And so Rebecca performed the Frog Prince multiple times, and the same people kept coming back. Right. So then she developed her Rumpelstiltskin, and the same people were coming. So, so we needed a new show every week. Right. And it was this improv that solved the problem, really. And uh, Rebecca turned out to be, no great surprise, a terrific improviser. She's she's a punster. She has, you know, just uh, she has a critique of the traditional fairy tales that she kind of injects. And she never performs the Three Little Pigs or Three Billy Goats Gruff the same way twice. I have never seen her repeat herself, and I. And I've worked with her, and we've probably done a thousand puppet shows together, and we have a repertoire of maybe 40, you know, stories that we do over and over again. Yeah. But they are never the same. Yeah. So Love it that. always, it, it amazes me that every time we do Chicken Little, it's totally different. And it refers to the, you know, the, the news of the day or the the age of the kids in the audience or the be, the behavior of a particular child and shouting out. Yeah, uh, suggestions or yeah. sure. complaints. Yeah. Or Having the children being involved in the shows is really the goal of oh, doing yeah. Yeah, improvisational yeah. puppetry. You really want the kids to be as engaged as they want to be, yeah. and um, and that's the other superpower which is involved, which is the imagination of the children. It turns out you don't need to have you know a set of stairs for your puppet to climb. You just need to make the puppet go up the stairs, you know, right. physically with emotion, and the the stairs appear in the child's imaginal mind, you know, as as vividly as if you had spent hours constructing the stairs. You really can depend on children's yeah. imagination yeah. to fill in the blanks. Rebecca asked the, uh, the child uh, at a puppet show recently, um, uh, what should he wish for? The, the character needed to wish for something. And a child yelled, a giant snowball. And, and Rebecca said, 
I wish for a giant snow. And of course, I thought, oh, no, don't wish for that. What, what are you going to do? And But she immediately uh, accepted the suggestion and said, I wish for a giant snowball. And then she went and, and had the, the puppet sort of push, forced down below. I mean, you could see that the giant snowball had fallen on the puppet. Yeah. It was, you know, she, she had just uh, mimed with the puppet. She mimed the giant snowball crashing yeah. into the puppet. Yeah. And she did it all instantaneously. Yep. So I, I, it's amazing what a little yes and will do. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes anding. And and the children all understood exactly what she was communicating yeah. to them, that you know the, the giant snowball had appeared and yeah. smashed they the They all laughed. I mean, you didn't, I yeah, didn't need great. a snowball to get yeah. the laugh. I just needed to, the action, the reaction to sure. the snowball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool so stuff. That's, that's what the, uh, the puppet shows are. And... Uh, we, we know we've been broadcasting them for, for years now, and during the pandemic, we were doing 10 shows a week. Uh, part of them were story hours, many of them were puppet shows. And uh, we set up a Patreon so that uh, children could come onto the screen with us and interact and make suggestions during the, the, during the puppet shows. Yeah. And uh, so there are a lot of our puppet shows on... Um, uh, if you go to Facebook, the, the Book and Puppet Company Facebook page, and scroll back through the videos, hundreds and hundreds of puppet shows and story hours also, because yeah. I've been doing story hours the whole time as well. Right. So, um, but the, the interesting thing about what happened during the pandemic is that it really forced us to do a better job of uh, uh, documenting and broadcasting our, mm -hmm. our program. So we we did a we right. did a very good job with it for uh, about ten years, I guess. Now we've sort of stepped back from. Uh, Focusing on the broadcasting so much because the store is open again. Yeah, I did. But what about the still documenting? You know, you know, yeah. it, it's funny because you know at, G at Jivo, the uh, once we made that switch with with uh, when COVID hit, we had a week of going, oh my, what are we gonna do? And then we went on live streaming, and but but set it all up. You know, got the camera, got the you know the sound system, everything working so it it, it produced the quality we wanted online, and there was kind of like no re reason to ever go back to yeah. not doing it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, happened. we have we have continued to document, of course, our shows. Oh, and, you have? Okay. Uh, you know, we, do, we set up a, an iPhone and it films the show. Yeah. I think the, the main challenge that we have performing live in um, the store, well, there's a couple. One is kids are running around. Sure. So, yeah. You know, we're and our focus is on the interaction with the audience. So yeah. not on whether or not it was a great video. We're not gonna sacrifice that audience interaction to get a perfect video. Oh sure. Uh, so we just let the kids be kids and also that means that we have to move the camera out of the way. <laughs> yeah, a bit. right. So we don't have the straight on shot that we did when we were doing it, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, on the internet and it was just us and a, and one camera. You right. Know? Right. Uh, so you know the maybe the video quality isn't as uh, as perfected, but you know it, at least we have it's, a document of content, it, and people can know, see what's know. going on at the store. And I actually was able to glean enough good footage to put together a seven and a half minute uh, bunch of excerpts that I showed recently at a presentation. So it's not that bad. It's but but it's never really been about getting the good video you no, know no. i mean and when you're doing improv 
there's some long moments. Andy's really good at filling in those moments when I'm struggling to get on a puppet that I can't find or <laughs> right. something like yeah. that. I'm like doing a, some quick cha scene change and like there's some beats there, you know. Yeah. But Andy is very good at, at, at filling in for me and playing I'm, some music. I'm the MC, so I, I sit out front. Making right. jokes. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we jump in for each other. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Where do you see Book and Puppet in five years? Uh, as from the bookselling standpoint, I'd, I'd just like to be thriving here in Center Square. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we did actually, you know, we, we opened across from the State Theater, then we opened a right. branch in the public market, then we opened this down here. So we had three branches yeah. right in downtown Easton uh, when the pandemic hit. And uh, as the pandemic, you know, stretched out, we closed two of the locations. We yep. closed the one across from the State Theater and we closed the one in the public market. Mm -hmm. And at this moment, I have no desire to open additional locations. Um, we're working on other projects. You know, we started right. this book festival and Rebecca has now been uh, completing her doctorate and, and developing a sound healing uh, uh, practice. And uh, so we have, we have projects in the works yeah. but they're not additional bookstores right yeah. so so from the from the book and puppet company standpoint uh you're, you're you're sort of in a happy place right here you know what you're doing right now is what you want it to be doing and then you the, there are the outside projects that you have going on like the the book festival and everything else that you want to expand on that's right that's well, we right have, yeah. we have we do have another location right now which is the the building that we own in the west ward and um, it's a two unit with the mixed use mm -hmm. uh, zoning. So we have a whole ground floor that's a business space. And I put in a sound healing studio there. There's a, there's a larger uh, puppet theater with a larger space. So my goal in the next five years is to uh, provide a, an extension to what we're doing here uh, for events and um, also classes and sound healing work so that we can have, you know, in our West Ward location, a more of an, an event space, a healing space, a place mm -hmm. for creative play that comes out of my work in psychology. Um, you know, I mentioned that doing puppetry is a superpower. Well, it really is because we've literally seen children on the autism spectrum becoming verbal in the context of the, the, yeah. the puppetry work we're seeing developmental milestones of kids being triggered and, and, and nurtured by the work with the imagination that we do. And so I feel really committed to being able to provide those kinds of opportunities to families in a more controlled setting, because this is great for people encountering us and coming in with the kids and so on, but to be able to have a, a somewhat more of a private and a, a more accommodating environment um, at our um, other location uh, will will make it possible to do uh, to do another level of work with mm -hmm. the puppetry yeah. and other kinds of creative work that I do um, uh, jewelry making archetypal jewelry making dream work and the sound work that we do. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember all the different things that we're doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm writing a book right now, at, yeah. which I hope will. Uh, enabled me to start <laughs> visiting colleges and do presentations about that. It's right. a book about Kurt Schwitters, the the uh, uh, Dada poet from a hundred years ago. No. Uh, so, 
you know, and I I've really been thinking a lot about how am I going to you know do half half day workshops and and so forth. And that's not uh, something that's strictly connected to book and puppet. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the reasons that I don't feel it's kind of a, a strong business ambition to, to grow book and puppet. Because sure. yeah, yeah. there are other things that I'm interested in doing. And, and Rebecca is talking about that as well. Is that, yeah. uh, we're going to be going off site uh, in about two weeks to do a series of shows at a library, right? Mm -hmm. On a yeah, Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, we go to you schools. Got the show. We go to schools and libraries. Yeah. So there, there, are, there are all sorts of different things that we're we're up to, and my daughter uh, is having a child in about a month. So yeah. uh, we're about to become grandparents. So there's there there. That, that's why yeah. I, I think this yeah. bookstore. This 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 is good. Let's we'll keep no, this bookstore. No, I can't relate to the one location. The, you know other things going on i'm, I'm yeah. a, a little add myself and kind of yeah. going oh this project be really good work on this i mean i just I actually you know you, we talked about here, here you are doing this podcast <laughs> well yeah i know and and it's it's but the, we we're also talking about the improv and i just started teaching improv again i did improv in new york oh. city for 10 years and uh cool you know so i'm just get, you know having having just basic workshops again just just kind of like getting back to teaching yeah. um but yeah, so I mean, you made your hand in many pots. I, I get that idea. Uh, let's uh, you. Well, there are, there are so much to, so much to unpack here. Uh, <laughs> the um, background. Rebecca said that you had a background in children's theater previously too. Uh, I started doing children's theater where I was in college, and then I uh, became a professional, and I was touring all over the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I was in children's theater on and off for eight years. Yeah. And then I opened uh, my first children's bookstore in Chicago, and that was quite a while ago. That was in the mid-'80s. Yeah. So I've been running children's bookstores uh, for almost 40 years now. Wow. But I was doing children's theater before that. And so I brought my children's theater background into children's book selling yeah. and always did lots of programming inside my bookstores. And I thought of the bookstore as – uh, you know, I know I, I when I was touring, when I was working in touring children's theater, you go into schools and right, and you know you, you always fantasize about having your own theater space because mm -hmm. then you wouldn't have to get in the van all the time and you have everything in one place. People come to you, right? Much yeah, much yeah. easier. So uh, so the idea of doing a bookstore for me was like, well, this this could be a theater too. Yeah, you know, you've got a storefront. That's, what, what's the difference between a bookstore right. and a theater just put the theater in the bookstore so that was always the approach that i've taken to book selling yeah and honestly that's probably the reason why while andy was still working in new york at, at bank street uh, i was busy with nare's help um, setting up a bookstore here um, we had talked about just doing andy had talked a lot about just doing a um his next project being a, a um book fair company mm -hmm. which would just go to schools and bring books for the book fairs and and so on which but, i've done throughout my career which yeah, yeah is, a, is another corollary of course to children's book selling but um i was like no we have to have a location so we can have a theater yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so it i think we both had the same instinct which is you know we really are hams and we want to have our ham stand, <laughs> so to speak. A good a hand, ham stand. I see the stand. Yeah, that's and good. And here we are in the middle of the bacon fest, so it worked out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so jumping back to you, Rebecca, you know, you're finished. You finished, or you're finishing up your PhD? 
I'm um, I'm working on my dissertation now. So I've done okay. all the coursework and um, just yeah. writing the book. So so, what have you? What, what's been your journey, and and what is your PhD in, and what do you what do you hope to do with that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I've been using my dreams in my artwork my whole life. Um, uh, whether it's performance or um, script writing or visual art um, or music, uh, writing lyrics and songs, I've always used my dreams as inspiration. And so I was very interested in learning more about dreams and the unconscious. And um, my father's a, a retired minister. My mother uh, was a psychologist. So I was kind of already set up for Jungian studies, as yeah. you can imagine. Um, and when I discovered this program at Pacifica, um, I knew that it would give me the opportunity to really develop and deepen my approach to dreams and the psychological aspects of my work. And I, what I hoped was that it would give me a language, you know, a lexicon to talk about what I do. Yeah. Because by doing work that's based on dreams, you're doing essentially surrealism. I'm, you know, I do graphic novels and they're very surrealistic. And to, to really hit the right tone to hold your reader while you're doing something so strange can be really challenging. Uh, so it's given me the opportunity to develop a language and also an understanding of how dream work really helps people at a psychological level mm -hmm. because when you encounter a dream in the wild you're really encountering your own inner components your emotional self your you, you know your psychological functions as embodied figures or situations or places and there's an emotional relationship to it but you don't necessarily know how to manage that relationship so that it helps you to grow as a person uh, dreams are really part of our, the psyche's self-care system. Um, and so is art making. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm sure, why often art ends up incorporating images from dreams, probably most often without even the person realizing it. Because mo most of the time we don't remember our dreams very well, um, if at all. But we have, uh, the body is always dreaming. We have a fantasy life that's going on underneath our more directed thinking all the time. It's just that it comes to the surface when we're asleep, just the way that we can only see the stars when it gets dark outside. So for me, studying how these things work gives me a way to talk about it with people, and it helps me to fulfill um, what I hope will be a fulfillment anyway of my lifelong ambition to create, do creative work and writing that actually helps other people to heal the way that I've used it to help my, me to heal from the traumas mm -hmm. in my life. Yeah. I have a lot of compassion for people who've been through a lot of trouble um, because I know what it's like, you know, to, you know, have the waves, you know, crash over your head and wonder if you're going to make it. Yeah. And um, to be able to hold out a helping hand to people uh, that will help them to find a way into a, a more uh, authentic self and to build the tools to be that authentic self in the world and with conviction, um, I think that, you know, that's my, that's always been my goal. Um, and, and especially to help children 
which um, is the, was the other part of it. Because as I began to realize how powerful this creative work was for kids, I wanted to make myself more knowledgeable so that I could be better at what I do. Mm-hmm. And so that I could feel confident in talking to parents about what I do right. and help them to understand the value of the creative life for children. And I don't think there's anything more important right now at this point in our history as a culture than paying attention to what's going on with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, I teach uh, at uh, a university, so I encounter uh, young people coming out of the school systems and coming out of the pandemic, and they're really troubled. Yeah. So that that is fascinating. Uh, now, going back to your, your West Ward space, uh, you were talking about the sound healing. Yeah. Tell me how that comes in and where what that's about. Well, sound healing is relatively new for me in terms of a practice, although it's always been a part of my consciousness about the healing aspects of creative life. Um, I actually wrote a, uh, a book uh, years ago about Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. I became really interested in grunge music, hmm. and um, I eventually started to recognize, and it came out of dreams that I'd had, but I started to recognize that the that the connecting factor was the ways in which specific vibrations are used in a healing way in certain kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And certain vibrations actually, you know, will go into your body and literally, you know, massage your, you know, limbic system, you know. Uh, there's uh, changes that happen, uh, you know, in your cognitive functions from specific sounds. Um, and it was always something in the kind of at the back of my head as I was in, been involved with you know music and bands uh, throughout my career as one element of my creative work. Uh, but I had uh, an encounter with uh, sound healing as a practice uh, through my Jungian work at a conference. Yeah. Okay. And I had such an extraordinary experience. I actually ha- was having like spiritual visions. But yeah. these are singing bowls. Singing bowls and chimes yeah. and things like that that they were using. And I I was um I was I went right up and laid down with my head like inches from these bowls and I went into space, I'll tell you. I was just floated off on a cloud and I had visions of, you know, a, a cherubic uh, baby elephant and it was just this like it was just this extraordinary experience, and I'm like, something's going on here that I need to know more mm-hmm. about. Yeah. I actually need to study this. So I did start to study sound healing and the, you know, the effects of different vibrations on the body and on, on the psyche. And I, I discovered at this point that my sister, my favorite sister, who I've been I'm very close to, has been studying this for years. And I didn't fully understand that's what she was doing. So yeah. I now have a, somebody in my life who can sort of correct me and, and help me. Um, but it's a, it's a process that I feel like I'm really at the beginning of in terms of the scholarship aspect of it. I haven't been able to devote the kind of study to it that I would like because I'm working on my dissertation. Um, but I did uh, start collecting bowls and we started selling the singing bowls and sound healing instruments here at the store. Mm-hmm. And I started using them for my own healing. And when I did that, it was very quickly became clear that people were really interested in it. So I've 
I've begun to, you know, look for ways of incorporating that into my work and hopefully learning more and help giving other people the opportunity to do the self-discovery. I think that there's a lot to learn on the scientific side that um, will take some time to, to, to kind of fully uh, incorporate into my work. Mm -hmm. But I also know just from my own experience and from what the experts have said that the that you can engage in a sound healing process without being an expert because you're really listening to your body mm -hmm. and you're really listening yeah. to your own psyche and what feels good to you is the sound medicine that you need. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody likes, you know, uh, noise music or, you know, Nirvana, grunge, you know, this kind of stuff. But the people who like certain kinds of music, often there's a reason why they really are attracted to that music and it's, it's not the lyrics. <laughs> it's it's that these sounds right. are literally yeah. physically transforming them, and um, but, I. But the singing bowls are very meditative. They're they're yeah. Uh, they like you say they'll put you into a it's, trance. It's not grunge, no. no. I mean, you could <laughs> add some drums to it, but yeah, yeah. But I also am very much attracted to the bowls that have the low kind of buzzing sound, these kind uh -huh. of really low tones, mm -hmm. yeah. which I think is what it, grunge is known for. And I've, I've collected some really beautiful antique bowls that have really wonderful, low, deep drumming sounds to them. And, you know, if I'm feeling depressed or exhausted, just playing those bowls really helps to ground me and to relax me and to help me feel more centered. You know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, with your hands and so many things, uh, I've always found that, you know, my, my, my background's been very diverse, and, but, I've, but I found that everything, uh, go, ahead and, go ahead and hit that. Uh, finish your sentence. Okay, I was going to say that, that everything you do somehow finds a way of uh, enhancing everything else you do. Totally. Totally. You know, so that I was immediately going, oh, and how could you incorporate that with this? And then, yeah. oh, you know, so I was immediately seeing how the, the crossovers would happen. It just goes to show, I mean, we've been trained that we need to get into some kind of a linear mode where we do one thing over and over again until it's perfect. But yeah. when you follow your bliss, you don't do that. When you follow your bliss, you wander around the landscape until you've yeah, familiarize yourself with it and then you find your favorite spots in that landscape and you begin to become a language of the self and I think that's what personal development is about which is different from career development for example right, right. so here's one of the singing bowls that Andy brought over I'm just going to give it a spin Okay, I'm going to fess up. I have actually never heard that before. That's very cool. It's you know, and still resonating and, and still, you know, there. Yeah. It's 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 musical sounds that you experience with your whole body and there's nothing like it. Rebecca yeah. has a dozen of these and she can give a whole a sound bath and it's it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Rebecca is a musician already, so she she applies, she brings her musical 
uh, awareness to uh, to this practice. And I, I, it's really, and, and she's been doing it with children also. She she had a whole series of programs at the store where children would come and lie down on the on a mat, and uh, she would play these singing bowls around the children. They didn't Just, really uh, lie down. They didn't like. They, 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 they wanted to kind of bang the, the bowl. Sure, they did. Yeah, yeah. That was the theory, but in practice, yeah, yeah they, they wanted to do the bowls themselves, which is great. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was really cool to hear. Thank you. Uh, so, I, I, one thing on my mind that I, I don't want to forget, and then I'll ask you guys about what we might be missing, is just you're both authors. I know you, you said you're writing a book currently. But you've written one before. Uh, I have now written four books. Oh, and okay. This is my fifth book. Oh yeah. So yep, I've I've now figured out. My, I wrote my first book about uh, over twenty years ago, Rebel Bookseller, and it's still in print. And um, then I've been writing uh, books these last couple of years, and I, I figured out I should write a book a year. That's my discipline. Okay. Every every January I start a book. Yeah. So and try to finish it by the middle of the year. Yeah. So uh, that's great. And you've written a, a, tons of books. Uh, yes. Well, I, in terms of uh, the mainstream publishing world, my biggest accomplishment is the book Mermaids Fast Asleep, uh, which I wrote under the nom de plume uh, Robin Writing because it's for children and most of my work is not. Yeah. Um, but it actually was a, a poem I wrote when I was a little girl and then transformed into a song for some little girls that I knew when I was in a band in New York and then eventually the song got picked up as the text for a children's book hmm. um, so it's a kind of a just a, a, a fantasy poem about going down under the sea and encountering the mermaids that are all sleeping there it's a lullaby yeah. you know yeah but it's also a, a archetypal parable about you know the um, the inner life. Mm -hmm. So, uh, shifting gears a little bit because I want to make sure I get we, I hit on this as well. So the book festival. I mean, you guys started the book festival how many years ago now? Three. Uh, the, our first book festival was 2019. So yeah. we're heading into our uh, fifth. This is our fifth anniversary. Yeah. This October will be our fifth book festival, and we spun off a separate nonprofit. So it's not Book and Puppet Company running that, and it has the board of directors. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and our lead sponsor is now Lafayette College. So we've, uh, you know, the idea of the book festival was that Easton is a great place to run a festival. Yeah. And and there are all these different organizations that could be brought together as participants in helping to produce this festival, and uh, it that's what happened. I mean, the, the first year we had twenty eight different venues which was you know the the shops and the uh, the nonprofits and the museums and uh or coffee shops around easton hosted authors mm -hmm. and uh so, so we we had 200 programs and we went into all the schools with authors and uh it was a big deal and then the pandemic hit and we went all online the second year and uh third year was hybrid Last year we was still hybrid, but we had much mostly in person. And this uh, this year, once again, we'll have it be almost entirely in person with just a few things online. Right. 
Yeah, so uh, it's been, and this year we're going to go back into the schools with uh, uh, authors again. We, we went into, into all the Eastern Public Schools the first year, but we haven't done that the last uh, couple of years. Right, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's, Great. it's been a big project, and um, the, the community is interested in it and, and, like, and, and has gotten very involved. Super, yeah. What have I missed? Well, uh, when you, you asked Rebecca about her authorship, Rebecca is an editor of World War III Illustrated uh, magazine also, and uh, that's a huge part of her activity. And there's a new World War III. Uh, World War III is the, the longest-running social justice comics anthology in the country. Oh. Yeah, it's been wow. going for 40 okay. years, and Rebecca's been involved with it now for about 20 years. And, and uh, she and uh, two colleagues edited, along with about 50 authors, edited this incredible new issue, which is coming out in about two weeks. It's called uh, My Body, Our Rights. Mm -hmm. And so it's a direct response uh, to Roe versus Wade sure. being struck yeah. down, although we actually were working on it before then. The writing was on the wall. So yeah. it's very urgent uh, material. Um, there's There are a lot of abortion stories in it, but also uh, I did a piece uh, for it called uh, Mother Flower. And um, it's actually... A series of uh, images of goddesses that emerged from my dream work, mm -hmm. and so pa paintings. Paintings. Well, they're 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 colored pencil drawings. They're going to be paintings, oh. uh, but um, they're um, they they're basically images drawn from dreams that are about creating a more living image of uh, the divine. Um, or the archetypal feminine um, that that incorporates both the light and the shadow. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons why I think we have a hard time with the feminine divine in our society is because we've really projected a lot of the shadow of our culture onto the feminine, onto nature, onto the planet. And this has become a real crisis. And the the uh, the crisis over bo the bodily autonomy of women and people who are uh, not, don't conform to uh, traditional what we think of as traditional gender norms is completely related to the environmental crisis because both are reflections of a patriarchal attitude toward the physical reality. You know, nature is some, there to be exploited and controlled. The female body is there to be exploited and controlled. And as long as we see the world that way, we're not we're not uh, uh, acknowledging the divinity in matter. We're not acknowledging that the physical world is alive with the divine, and we're not acknowledging that respecting the autonomy of nature, just to, and respecting the autonomy of of humans are completely intertwined. So I wanted to create a meditation that drew on powerful unbidden images from the unconscious, which I think is a place where collective processes are constantly happening, um, that would bring into the world, um, you know, uh, meditations on the feminine divine and how that relates to us, our, our personal and cultural problems and how it also teaches us how to solve those problems. So it's um, it's fairly complex work, but it, each piece is, is accompanied by a short poem which encapsulates the emotional reality that each of these images 
represents. Mm -hmm. And so I hope it will help people to get in touch with parts of themselves that have maybe lain neglected or been uh, ostracized uh, due to our societal attitudes towards the feminine. And, and Rebecca has just described, a, is that a 12-page uh, piece that's in uh, World in, War III in Illustrated? In color. Every yeah, year, yes. Rebecca does an article like this. It's 12 pages, yeah. and she, she spends an enormous amount of effort well, uh, painting and designing. Pages and, vary, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, it's a remarkable practice. I mean, you're sort of watching you do it every year. You come up with with an idea for a, I mean, that that project that you just described is is it's only a 12 page piece. You can sort of you can it read took it. Took so much time. Took, took her months to I yeah, don't make get all paid these pictures. For this. this is a collective that sure. publishes this, yeah. and I don't get paid for it. If I did, it wouldn't be enough. So because <laughs> right. this is really I my work, you. but well, I'm very yeah. fortunate to have a forum for my work. Sure. And to have yeah. support. Well, to I want to be really clear about this, so people can look this up. It's World War Three. Illustrated. Illustrated. World okay. War Three Illustrated. And the, the next issue is coming out on uh, in June, beginning of June. So coming right up. Yeah. Yes. Come to our bookstore or go to bookandpuppet.com. There's a there's a World War Three Illustrated page there. We are the bookstore mm. that has the best collection of World War Threes for sale of any place in the country. Yeah. <laughs> we have all the back issues. Uh, and uh, so so uh, you know, but every every year there's a new World War Three Illustrated. Yeah. Great. Any other, any other? What world, else could there yeah, be? Yeah, no, I was gonna, I was gonna say what. You know, hey, so what, what do you guys do in your spare time? There is no spare yeah, time. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. Um, oh, I love to well, go. We're running yeah. the coin business. We're, yeah, we, well, we, that's we, the we other thing. A, we have a. Uh, there a, is more. We have there an, is an, more, we so have an what, Etsy what? store called Elemental, where we sell <laughs> coins from all over the world. Uh, they've got a thousand coins listed on the site, and. Uh, Beautifully photographed, a lot of research about what each coin is. So um, it's it's been a fascinating project. We've been doing it for two years It's very now. archetypal, actually. It turns out that what do people put on the money? They put on, they put symbols on the money that represent their country, their their history, the sure. authority of the leaders, yeah. whatever it might be. These are very archetypal images on these coins. Yeah. yeah. And I started using them in making jewelry, which is why all my this, my jewelry is now all over the store because I got excited about jewelry making because of the we we launched the coin business during the pandemic because we just we yeah. needed extra income and we had access to the inventory. Our our business partner actually has a uh, has a warehouse uh, near Kingston, that, which uh, is the world's largest hoard of worthless money. <laughs> Worthless money, yeah. Yes. This is my uncle. No longer in yes. service there. Yes, mostly it's devalued currency. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so I got I started making this jewelry and it turned out to be a very healing practice for me because I was having problems with my wrists and hands, um, probably due to all that excess energy that I was squeezing into my hands whenever I was drawing and painting. I was holding the yeah. my hands would go numb and I was just there was there was way too much energy in my hands being like forced through them. And I started making knotted jewelry and it actually actually healed my wrists and my tendonitis. Mm. So I was like, well, I better keep this up. So it's kind of my therapy. personal healing yeah. Yeah, therapy right. that I'd like to share uh, with the Yes, come to the, the store to see Rebecca's world. jewelry. She has <laughs> yeah. lots of handmade jewelry in the store. I, I think the, the the going message is come to the store. Yeah, yeah. yeah that would be in, yeah. in simple and, terms. And, I, and, and but truly, truly I, I think it is something that people need to come and see. And, you know, 
as you're talking about walking traffic, you know, the, uh, we were, maybe that was pre before we started the interview, but we were talking about that. And you're in, in such a great location, just, you know, yeah. center square right here, yeah. right next to Crayola. So that, you know, is certainly now accessible. The reason, the reason that we're here is because Kim Kometz of the Greater Eastern Development Partnership uh, had her eye out for a location for us that she thought that would be better for us. Yeah. And when uh, this space came up, she spoke to uh, Martha Oviedo, who, uh, along with uh, Oscar, runs Frozen Landia, and they own this building, yeah. and said to her, you should put Book and Puppet in this space. And she came to us and said, you should go in that space that just came up, that the, you know, the, yeah. the, the sneaker store has just left. So it's it's Kim's fault. It's Kim's fault yeah. that we're in this location. Kim Kim is so good and has helped so many yeah. business owners find locations, and that that's a great Kim story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're very we're very grateful to be here, so close to um, Crayola, and we hope that people will uh, increasingly be walking past us as the uh, once they get that new or almost, almost walking past you, turning, <laughs> looking, and going. Yes. I'm going in there. Yes, we want them to notice we exist. That's all we ask. Yeah. <laughs> well, go ahead, Andy. You were say well, something. we're we're selling discount books, discount children's books outside on tables in the square now, and we'll, we're going to be doing that all summer. Oh, great. So that's our yeah. strategy: is to make sure that people don't even have to walk in the door. Yeah. They just uh, the, the books they are outside. One, one less barrier to entry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people feel feel a lot of people feel anxious about going into a bookstore, and it's it's a it's a kind of a fascinating thing for me. It's very surprising that people would feel uneasy about entering a bookstore, but a lot of people have negative associations with books, and mm. uh, that goes back to their childhood, uh, to their school years. Sure. And so, um, and it's something I'm quite aware of that you know people some people get dragged into the bookstore. Uh, by their their spouse or something, and they hover near I the front you were door. I you say by their hair, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 they don't want to be in a bookstore. They feel yeah. uneasy in a bookstore. So that's one of the things about being on Center Square that's of great significance to us is that we can put tables out in front of the store right. and put books outside, so people don't have to feel anxious about low you know, pressure. I, I, I'm not a great reader. I never, you know, my I didn't get good grades in, in you know reading in school. If they just see the books sitting out there, sometimes it, it, we it, also it have other other stuff besides books. Like we have toys and puppets, and we also have jewelry, but we also have um, mugs and um, and sound bowls and, and musical instruments. Yeah, yeah cards. I mean, this little store is packed with all kinds of cool and, stuff. And ma many of them created by Rebecca. The the uh, the mugs. Yeah, my art's the all cards, over stuffing. The jewelry. Yeah. Yeah, people come up to the, the register all the time with a stack of greeting cards. And I say, oh, my wife made that picture. My wife painted that picture. And they, they say, what? I say, yeah. yeah, she's the co-owner of this store. And she, she did these mugs. And so the store is filled with Rebecca's art. So even though I'm very seldom actually here in person, I am represented well. Yes. yes. Yeah, you are here. In, in spirit. spirit, in spirit. If That's not, right. If not children physically. come up to the register with a copy of Mermaids Fast Asleep, and I say, "Oh, my, the co-owner of this store wrote this book." Yeah, it's a complete shock to them. <laughs> well, this has been great. A lot of good information. I've I've learned a lot. You know about what you guys are doing. That's very cool. Um, any last thing that you haven't touched on? Well, in the old days when we were at the other location. I used to do puppet shows for grown-ups. Yeah. My main puppet show that I do um, is called 
fractured fables, and that's the one for children. So it's you know going to be Little Red Riding Hood, or you know Three Billy Goats Gruff, or The Frog Prince. But in Mangled Myths, I tackled more sophisticated material like Bible stories and Greek myths, yeah. and um, even you know <laughs> even musicals like Rocky Horror Picture Show and yeah. so on. And I took a hiatus from doing that uh, because I was focusing on my studies. And also, you know, just it was a lot of work to do these shows. And sometimes people just wouldn't show up. And I'd be like, why did I spend all this time? But what I'd really like to do is develop a, um, a, a, a some more planned out and community engaged versions of some of these mangled myth type shows so mm -hmm. that you know it can become much more of a community process rather than me doing everything and people have a bit more of a stake in it and so I guess what I'm saying is um, I I feel like there's a lot of potentials for people to be more engaged with the store creatively and yeah. with the puppet theater creatively. And if those haven't manifested yet, partly because of the pandemic and partly because of my studies, that's in the works. So when you say, what do you picture happening? I really picture creative involvement with the community um, in a healing and, and a wonderful way that I hope just grows according to uh, what people's needs and wishes are. Because Easton is just a wonderful creative community um, that has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, spontaneity. People love to dress up in costumes here. They love to go out and be seen. They love to be on the scene. And um, I think that there's more going on here. People may may not realize there's more going on here than just for kids. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Very good. Well, Andy, Rebecca, thank you so much for this. Uh, this has been. Wonderful. It, it, I may have to be so much stuff in here. It, it may be a two-parter, <laughs> you know. But uh, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for being so patient with all the things. Thank you, Mark. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Hello Easton, PA. This is Mark Nutting, hoping that you'll stop by again to find out more about your fellow Estonians. Have a great day.